Today, it's time for Game Club. Sephron and I picked a game that we'd both never played before. We went away and played it, and then discussed it for the first time together on this episode of Octal FM. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Gelada. And I'm Sefran. And today we're going to talk a little bit about a game, which is not very unusual for Octal FM. <laughs> um, but what is unusual is the sort of approach that we've taken to how we've gone about deciding this, the content of this episode. Because we're doing it as kind of like a game club, if you think like a book club, but for a game, yeah. uh, essentially. And we sort of picked a game a few weeks ago to both pick up completely fresh and then play it in our own time uh, and sort of come to our own conclusions and, and our sort of own first impressions of the game uh, and then come back together for the episode to then sort of talk about it and talk about what we thought and you know because we haven't talked about it to each other we haven't really done prep together for this episode instead we've just sort of prepared by playing the game um, and making some notes yeah. or at least in your case making some notes and in my case not making any notes <laughs> um and so that we just sort of have you know like just so that we come to it fresh as a as a unit uh, and then mm. you know it'd be interesting to see sort of how the conversation comes out and sort of you know keep it a little bit more discussion rather than you know structure and it's not a it's not a review as such it's more of a like what is our collective first impressions and what do we yeah. each think about the game and, you know, and, and sort of see where that goes. One of the things that was pretty core to me for doing this like new game club idea that we're trying is it lets us play new things that we wouldn't otherwise pick up. Yes. And because obviously we, we both have quite different tastes in games. Like we have some similar crossover games, obviously, but we have lots of things that we also play quite independently of each other so sometimes kind of talk about one thing or another can kind of lead to a bit of a lopsided episode so we thought trying this approach would allow us to talk about something with equal levels of authority essentially hmm. whilst also having a bit of fun with something new and interesting and well just fresh the word fresh is a good one for it i think yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so the game that we chose, or that you actually suggested it, I think, because you'd sort of heard a little bit about it and I think seen that it was on sale at the time on Steam. Yes, that's right. Um, and that is a game that is a game called Slay the Spire. And if you'd read the title of the episode, you'd already know that. <laughs> <laughs> I might not put it in the episode title. <laughs> oh, no, I've done it now. I've spoiled it. <laughs> now I've got no choice. Now I have to put it in the episode title. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You could just like at the end going, I got you now, Sephron. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's a it's an indie game released by or developed rather by a company called Megacrit Games. And it's their first game, right? Like it's the first game they've made. Mm -hmm. Well, I did a quick like Google search for some of the more background information on them. And it feels like they've just kind of this is their, their first and only game. They're publishing it themselves um yeah and i think it was just people who like the concept of the game itself like what, what it's about which we'll talk about in a minute and they've sort of just gone well we would like a game like this and they made it mm -hmm. what i found interesting was it does 
I, I saw that it was a it's a deck building card game, right? And so I was like, okay, cool. I can kind of see where this is going. Um, and then it's sort of it also blends that with kind of it's kind of like a roguelike, and it seems obvious now, but that's a really good blend of two things, like mm. because. To have a deck building game, you know, the, the concept of a deck building card game, if you're not familiar, is that unlike a traditional card game like, and when I say traditional card game, I don't mean solitaire, I mean traditional card game like Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh or something like that, where you have a deck that you've, as a player, you have prepared, right? Like you've, you've picked the cards that go in it, you've, you know, you've formed the strategy about the, the deck, uh, and then you play games with that deck or with, you know, if you've got multiple decks, you chop and change between the decks that you've got. Whereas a deck building card game, you tend to start with some kind of random deck or like a, a small deck. And then over the course of a game, you build up your deck. Um, and that tends to vary a lot depending on the mechanics of the game. The one that I'm most familiar with, which you introduced me to, like an like a real deck building card game, a physical deck building card game, is a game called Ascension, which we talked about actually mm-hmm. on our episode about about uh, board games, didn't we? We talked about deck building card games. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So if you if you want to hear more about those kinds of uh, you know that kind of thing, then definitely check out that episode after this one. Um, it was one of our earlier ones, I think. I can't remember what episode number. Yeah, but... it was. It was. I think it was single digits still, actually. Yeah, possibly. I'll, p- I'll put a link. That anyway, was the episode I recorded yeah. in my uh, my closet. Oh yeah, it was, wasn't it? Just find remember. that. Just look for that photo. <laughs> yeah, it's on there. It, it's on the website. So one of the things for me with this was that I went into this knowing I was going to be a bit more biased for it towards it. Sorry, because I'm naturally I like card games. Like that's sort of one of my kind of big gaming loves is card gaming and deck building card games as well especially board games you know is huge love for me as well like you mentioned ascension which was a big one for me and other things like um marvel's legendary is another big one i love the sort of the act of creating your deck and sort of like getting it just how you like but also having that sort of challenge of getting to that point to begin with hmm. so when i saw that slay the spire was an available game for us to play it was on offer it felt like a really good one so although it was supposed to be sort of like a fair discussion i already feel like i'm a little bit biased towards it <laughs> i don't know if you went in with anything like that i guess actually i went into it definitely if anything not the opposite but i went into it a lot more neutral because i knew i was like okay seth's picked this because it's a deck building card game he loves card games and board games and stuff like that so i was like this is a very Seth game and not something that I would naturally pick up um, but I do enjoy you know games like Hearthstone and stuff like that on on PC so I'm not super averse to it but it is definitely not something that I would naturally see to buy and go oh I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that um so mm. f- from that point of view you know when you said about how this how game club is sort of an opportunity for us to play games that we wouldn't otherwise pick up for me that was this was definitely one of those hmm well, maybe in future we could definitely sort of maybe alternate between people who suggest the game as well to Ooh. make sure that that stays quite fair as well. <laughs> I'll pick a game that um, that I really like the look of. But actually, I'm, I'm you know, from a sort of summary point of view, I'm glad that it was a game that I was sort of forced in inverted commas, not forced, but you know what I mean? Like for, <laughs> the, for mean. the show, for the good of the show, I, I had to pick it up. And I'm really glad that I did because actually I've I've only played it for a few hours, but I have really enjoyed it. I think that it's a game that I will continue to play a little bit, especially as mm. sort of like, it feels like it will be a good downtime game at lands, you know, something to have on in the yeah. background that I'm just sort of playing through. Um, you know, I do find... Uh, 
I, I do find roguelike games a little bit frustrating sometimes, you know, thinking about games we talked about before together, like we've talked about things like Faster Than Light and Into the Breach, you know, games that you are, you, you're a massive fan of, you know, you love that kind of thing. You love, um, you know, the, the sort of min-maxing and, and strategy and that kind yeah, of thing. Definitely. And we've talked about how that is very immersive for you as a video game as well, where you will go away and think about strategies of how could I have done that better or, you know, what what sort of tricks can I do? Whereas for me, that's really not a thing. Um, and so that limits my enjoyment of, of these games a little bit. That's really interesting because what you described was exactly what I ended up doing with this. Like I distinctly <laughs> remember a couple of days ago, stood in the shower going... Well, the warrior class See, has this really interesting ability, I and I could, if I try pairing it with that side of thing, and I did genuinely spend about 20 minutes just thinking about this one particular card and how I could utilise it in a strategy. Yeah, exactly. Whereas that is not me. <laughs> no. Well, that's really interesting, though, because that it gives very two very different dis- perspectives on the game. So mm. the fact that you still enjoy it, despite the fact that that's not what you want from the game, is a good sign it shows the game is kind of like multi multi-layered for for people's enjoyment yeah because what i found was that it was quite enjoyable to sort of just play around a little bit with the emerging mechanics and strategies because it's a deck building game and this is where it i think for me it has a little bit more appeal than something like hearthstone because what i really struggle with with card games especially whether it's on PC or in real life is that I really struggle to just organically think of strategies and sort of try and think mm. of like, you know, with, with card games like this and, and any, any card game, I feel like you're always trying to find the sort of the cheese or not the cheese, but like the, yeah. know, the little like <laughs> trick that you can do in your deck. And you, you know, there's sort of that like winning combo that you need in your deck. Yeah, and that's, your combo. And yeah. that's like, yeah. And that's like the, the key thing in a, in any, deck in any of these kinds of games and i really struggle to like organically find one of those and also get behind it like Mm. emotionally i find it very hard to get behind my like my deck and feel like oh i've made this like killer deck because i've got this magical you know this trick that is awesome and will win i just i really struggle with that so actually Mm. in a way a deck building game is good because it actually forces me in a way to do that or i can just like more free form experiment experiment because i feel like when you're actually building a deck that you're going to keep, it feels like you have to invest more time in research into sort of preparing because it's your deck. Whereas with a deck building game like this, where it's a roguelike, it doesn't matter. You know, I can just be like, if it doesn't work, then I'm going to lose early and then I can try again with something else. That's really interesting because I sort of agree with that because like you say, you don't, with this game in particular, like to give a little bit of background for for the game itself, is mm. you start with a very very basic deck of like basically the same cards, regardless of what character you pick, with like two cards that are a bit more flavorful towards the the, the deck style. Of like basically, it's warrior, thief, and mage, right? And then you kind of go from there to build your deck up. And like you said, like if you were playing a more traditional card game where you construct your deck and then play the matches. You'd have like either a very limited pool of usually bad cards from an early game point of view, or you'd have every card available to you immediately, which is ridiculously overwhelming because you're like, oh, where do I start? Absolutely. What do I pick? Yeah. I have no idea. Whereas with Slay the Spire, you start out with that, that basic deck every time and you get one card every interaction. So with every interaction you have, be it either a battle or maybe like a random um, encounter, your deck 
changes slightly and you also get to experience that change very very incrementally so you get a feel for how that card's going right. to work within your deck each time yeah so you kind of naturally feel i'm going towards this sort of mechanic i'm going towards this sort of strategy or i'm finding that card's really just annoying me in my hand every damn time i want to get rid of it and just ignore that card yeah exactly that's exactly what i mean like that kind of like incremental build-up helps a little bit with the the learning curve of the game that said i one of the things that i did and then are still struggling with and admittedly i'm I'm talking you know just a just a couple of hours maybe you know three hours in to the game i've not played it as much as you but i am struggling with the myriad of mechanics in the game and i'm finding mm. it quite difficult to understand the impact of them I guess we should talk a little bit actually before I dive into some of the some of the detail of what I what I was struggling with. We should probably talk a little bit about the mechanics of how the of how the battles work in the game and mm. how the sort of matches if you like play out. Yeah, cuz it's quite unique in the sense that it's obviously turn-based cuz it's a card game, right? But kind of similar to what we talked about with Into the Breach, you, the enemies will always telegraph what they're going to do in advance. Mm. So they'll tell you if they're going to attack you. And if they are going to attack you, they'll actually even say how much damage they're going to do. So you know how much damage to try and prepare for. Or it'll tell you whether they're intending to do things like a buff to themselves or a negative status effect on you. Or they're going to try and block your damage and stuff like that. So you're always prepared for what's coming. Yeah. That doesn't mean your hand's necessarily prepared for what's coming, though. <laughs> no. so you can't, you know, give yourself the perfect strategy every single time. You're still at the whim of the of the deck draw. Yeah, and in fact, unlike Into the Breach, I felt like Into the Breach, the telegraphing did make it a, a little bit, quite a lot easier. Whereas with this, because you've got a hand and, and you're sort of limited by a lot of chance, it doesn't, like you say, it really doesn't necessarily help. <laughs> One of the things that I found for myself, going from my first experiences with the game and it, my, my opinion definitely morphed over time was i got a little frustrated with the more quote rogue elements of this roguelike game because the map layouts are completely random every time and sometimes yeah. you just get like elite after elite and then after like a particularly bad enemy that's just sort of like countered your strategy your health so low and then you're really struggling because you've then mm. got to waste all your opportunities to upgrade your cards on healing yourself instead so I got really frustrating, especially as early game, you don't have a lot of say in how your deck performs because you have so limited cards, you know? Yeah, definitely. I definitely I definitely saw that as well. And the other thing about the telegraphing as well, right, is that there's also kind of, there's like two mechanics of the way that you, the the, the sort of actions that you can do, right? In that you've got like, the ability to attack but you also have the ability to build up block to defend against attacks so that's where that telegraphing comes in and that you can see that oh the enemy is going to do 15 damage to you and if you look at your hand you and you've got sort of like a mixture of attack cards and, and block cards and defensive cards you can choose to play the defensive cards because you can see how much damage is going to be inflicted on you and actually the damage that's inflicted is a high proportion of your health so you know, you do need to be able to defend yourself. You can't just sort of mm. soak up the damage because, as you say, it is a roguelike game, which means that, you know, death is permanent and there are opportunities to heal. But if you do need to heal, as you say, you sacrifice the ability to, you know, maybe upgrade or maybe buy something if you from a merchant if you need to buy, you know, something to heal you instead of something instead of a new card 
despite the fact that it does have that telegraphing, it there is a lot of sort of mechanic in terms of, you know, it's not just about being able to attack or being able to 100% defend or whatever. You know, there's a, there's a lot of strategy involved. It's one of the things that I struggled with at first was coming from, because the, the game that I kind of trained on, so to speak, and learned card games from was Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm. Where in Yu-Gi-Oh! you start with 8,000 life points. And I always famously said with like my my kind of fellow players, you only need one life point to win, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't need the rest 7,999 other life points. As long as you've got one life point, you win. So in that respect, you're almost encouraged to spend them and let them, you know, let yourself take damage, spend them on cars that cost life points to activate, mm-hmm. things like that. Whereas in Slay the Spire, I almost feel that the opposite is true from a very early point of view. Because at first I was like, yeah, it's fine, no problem. And then I sort of realized, hang on, I don't heal between fights. And, well, you sort of do if you're playing the warrior class. You get a little bit of health back due to one yeah. of your relics. But there's no other opportunities to heal yourself except through like very, very rare rest sites that occasionally come up. But they're also an opportunity to upgrade one of your cards as well, which is just so important to be able to keep up with sort of like the the difficulty curve, sort of like yeah. the increasing numbers effect. And so you end up playing a much more defensive game where it's so counterintuitive for me at first because I was so used to going, right, I win the fight, let's move on. And now I'm going, well, hang on, I need to consider the rest of my game basically ahead of me. Yeah. It is quite a game of patience, isn't it? Mm. Like, you you know, you do have to be patient, I think. And and you're playing, on average, it feels like you need to play more defensively than offensively. um, Yeah, very much so. The impact is permanent. You know, if you if you lose health, you you know, you've got to try and heal it. You don't just like you say, you don't just auto heal. The only time you auto heal is between the three different levels of the spire. So when you go right. when you beat a boss, you auto heal to full. Exactly, exactly. Um so there's also as well as the fact that there's like attack and defense, then there's also quite a lot of other sort of like underlying mechanics, right? Like you've got um, as you've pointed out already, you know, you can upgrade your cards. Um, you can also purchase new cards at merchants that you see, you know, there's a gold aspect to the game. Um, there's also potions, which are sort of like one-time items that you can use. You can only hold three of them um, and you sort of, you get, you know, sometimes you win them or you can buy them or whatever. There's also relics, which uh, I think it, relics is like you gain one at the end of each um, act in the spire and you can pick one of you know maybe two or three to to take on with you and that's sort of a permanent thing that will in some way alter the way that your character works in a permanent way um Mm. you know maybe it like like you said like the first warrior relic heals you in between in a little bit in between rounds um and then there's other ones that sort of like affect you know if you do something then this will happen or if an enemy does yeah. something this will happen and i know? find that if you don't get particularly good relics or you get maybe some relics that are kind of counterintuitive to your play style at the time it can be quite difficult to play some of the later levels because you really rely on them a lot yeah like for example because you can get both regular relics and boss relics because the boss relics are a little bit more powerful but they're also a little bit more kind of catered towards your class whereas regular relics are just kind of generic and they'll fit any class basically Mm -hmm. and you usually find that if you get a particular like relic ability you're you're set a lot more whereas Mm. some of them are just like this is literally useless to me and doesn't do anything (laughs) at all or if it it does it does something so minor and insignificant that it just wasn't worth the effort of your taking it which has possibly cost you like 
um, health or maybe it's cost you the opportunity to upgrade or something like that, you know. Yeah. And then on top of those mechanics, you've then also got the mechanics of the cards themselves. So you've got things like powers, which are sort of permanent um, effects that apply to your character for the rest of the match if you get that card. You've got skills, which are kind of one-off versions of powers. And then you've got different cards can do different things. You know, obviously you have the standard sort of mechanics of things like, you know, cards that let you draw more cards or cards that let you, you know, do certain types of damage or gain extra energy to play more cards in your turn. You have like a discard pile and there's sort of a, there's like a exile, if you like, you know, there are some cards that can only be used once. And that was actually something that I, you know, as I was going to say earlier, I, I, I'm still really quite struggling with. There's a lot mm. of mechanics and particularly with the daily challenges, which is where there's sort of like random buffs or debuffs or random like changes to the mechanics applied as if you were kind of midway through a game a little bit. Like it's applied some, it's applied like a bunch of stuff to your, to your yeah, character. Modifiers. And I found it was really difficult to keep track of like the number of things that are going on. It's like, okay, well, I've been weakened by an enemy and one enemy is going to yeah. do a buff and I've got this relic that does this if this happens and I need to like leave, I need to p- discard these certain cards. And like, I was like, there is, there can be a lot going on in each yeah. turn. Information overload. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. It's mostly clear what can happen. It's just keeping track. And there are some Mm. situations where I did, it wasn't clear. Like one of the daily challenges the other day was that you, uh, you're like cursed or like a lot of the, a lot of it seemed to be around this curse mechanic. And I was like, I don't really get it. Like, I can't really tell what that mechanic does. And Mm. I was trying to like, look it up and I was like, okay, fine. So you get like some cards that you can't play and they do a bad thing and you have to try and like get, you have to try and burn through those cards. Um, but I was still like, there's a lot of this, <laughs> like there's a lot of yeah. stuff to take in and it does expose it to you progressively. But I still found that sometimes, and this is my patience also like wearing thin, I did find that sometimes I would play a card and this is why I hate turn-based games. We've covered this before. Like I play a card and I'm like, for God's sake, if I would remembered that that was going to happen, I would not have played that card. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you can't take that back, whereas in real time, you just sort of like, oh, well, hang on a second. Let yeah, me just you're just like, wait, no, that. I didn't mean to right click there. <laughs> like, yeah. And once you click, that's it sort of thing. Absolutely. But that's but that's me, right? Like I, we've discussed this before with things like Into the Breach. Like I, I get frustrated with that kind of thing happening. Um, and I know that the more you play a game like this and the more you invest into it, the more you notice those things automatically and it becomes more second nature to like mm. recognize things. I remember it with, with when I played, I played a reasonable amount of Magic the Gathering and I remember that that was a classic example. You know, you started to see and recognize what could happen, um, you know, whereas still at the moment for me, I guess it's a little bit fresh still for Slay the spiral yeah like you're having to more. basically read everything you're the equivalent of like a card player who goes to with locals and has to go can i read your card please can i, oh, can I read yeah, that card exactly, again Sorry, definitely. what's that card do again 100 i'm like hovering over them all the time <laughs> exactly whereas after a while you will start to just learn you see the picture of the card and you instantly know what it does and how it's going to interact with your card and stuff like that yeah exactly one of the things that you you mentioned actually, which is a, a valid point, and I liked, was you, there is a lot of information, uh, like all the mechanics kind of going on, and like a power effects that apply to you and the enemy can mm. really stack up. Like if, if it's a long fight, like one of the boss fights that goes on for a bit longer, you can end up having like so many like effect things affecting your character, like kind of passives. But they've done it in a really nice way, I think, because they have those little like icons below the character's like health bar. 
and then you can like mouse over them and it gives you a tooltip of what that current effect is doing and like yes, why it's I on really you. like that. And it's a very clean way of showing it because one of the difficult things to keep track of in a traditional card game, like, you know, with real cards, is the myriad of passive effects that are kind of on field, as it were. Mm-hmm. And that can be hard to kind of keep track of. And it's one of the reasons why you'll lose a lot of the time because you've just forgot about this particular card effect that was ongoing. Yes. Whereas inside the Spire, they've really done a good job of making you aware of all that information all the time, which I think is a good design decision. Yeah, definitely. I, de- I definitely agree. Like, I know that I will... It, it It is definitely helping me a lot compared to a traditional card game, that is for sure. I really like the... um the user interface in general actually i'm i definitely hmm. prefer it to um into the breach right like we talked about how into, there was there was some aspects of into the breach that weren't great in terms of ui or at least that was my my sort of feeling whereas i feel hmm. like slay the spire is very polished in terms of ui and sort of feel like it's you know the animation is nice and the cards are very it's very obvious what they do you know what they do and you it sort of highlights the keywords and stuff like that you know all of that yeah. stuff feels quite clear um and everything around you know on the interface in terms of like you know how much what are your artifacts you know and what are your how much how much health do you have and stuff like that you know it, it's obvious when things trigger and stuff like that mm. you know i was really impressed considering i was going into it thinking okay early access like it is an early access game i wasn't expecting it to feel as polished as it does from a just a experience point of view i was very impressed mm. well that was one thing i made it very clear uh, on my notes is the ui is clean and clear i've put down mm. and tool tips mm. The tooltips are actually hit and miss for me. Like the actual tooltip system itself is really good, but sometimes the tooltips just don't give you the information that you need. Agreed. Or it tells you this item does this keyword and then there's no way of finding out what that keyword does sometimes. Like half the time it tells you what the keyword then does, like below it, but other times it just doesn't. You're like, I don't know what that keyword does if I've not seen it before. (laughs) Which is really, really frustrating because then you're sort of like the mercy of the game. You're like, well, I kind of hope this isn't going to, you know, mess up my strategy. Um, yeah which is again a bit of a frustrating aspect of the game i must admit yeah so so that's one thing that i kind of praise for the game uh in terms of its kind of like look and its construction but one of the things that i was left a little bit sort of like uh over was the art style's quite nice and fitting but the card art's really bland Hmm. and there aren't that many animations either. The animations there are are really nice. Like some of the boss animations of attacks are really nice looking and some of the particle effects, well, not really particle effects, but sort of like the special effects on like the attacks, for example, are quite cool looking, but there's not a lot of them. And I feel the game's a little stale to look at, especially once you've seen the first few sort of like runs of a card, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I agree. And also I don't think that the... The monsters aren't that great, I guess. Like, like there's not a huge variety in that, especially if you're doing, you know, because it is a roguelike, you're doing repeated playthroughs. And I guess this is mm. classic roguelike. Like when I think of something like Rogue Legacy or Spelunky, you know, the same thing applies. But there's not a huge sort of variety in the monsters that you're going to fight. And I guess to some extent that's intentional, but you could have visual variety even if you don't have like strategic variety. Mm, that's you true. Know, I, I, it's 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 a very minor minor quibble because I think that with these kinds of games with roguelikes, you know, because you are doing repeated playthroughs, to some extent, 
as you get more familiar, you don't necessarily want a lot of flashy sort of graphics because it starts to become more like theory craft and you're sort of playing it That's to, very true. you know, to see how your strategy is going to unfold. I always think of like Pokemon where it's like sometimes you just sort of think if only I could disable the animations because I know everything that's going to happen in these battles. I don't need to see that. I animations. just want to click through it. Yeah. yeah it's a like, good point. It's a very valid point. Maybe it should be an option though. Like yeah. have more nice animation and more... The card art is just bland, in my opinion, especially Definitely. in comparison to, like, even in comparison to other digital trading card games like Hearthstone. Like, yeah, they're just yeah, sort of bland looking and boring. I mean, Hearthstone is very, very visually rich, right? So, you know, exactly that sets a very high bar. And I guess that's not fair because we're talking about Blizzard, which is like this massive multi billion corporation <laughs> sort of thing, versus, I think, like a couple of guys making a game. But I don't feel the art has to suffer, really, does it? I don't know. Maybe that maybe they're a bit low on artists. I don't know. Or maybe they're sort maybe. of. You know, it is still it is early access. Um, it was yeah. released what late last maybe year. Maybe I'm being too so, critical. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's it's been out what sort of seven months or so. So one of the things that for me we've not really talked touched on, but I, I want to mention it is some of my frustrations of my subsequent runs of starting the game. Like my initial run was good but also a little lackluster and then i sort of to get the flow of the game more right mm-hmm. but one of the things and i do enjoy the game it's a great fun game that don't get me wrong but one of the things that really frustrates me is my lack of control over my deck and what i mean by that is deck builders are supposed to be sort of like you get what you're given sort of thing and you have to sort of make do but there's so little choice of changing that deck once you've got it like my very first note and it's one of the things that i feel almost all deck builders need is a fairly consistent ability to remove cards from your deck and Mm. there is such a finite amount of ability to remove your cards from your deck and they're very costly even at that as well like the only ways to remove cards from your deck are at the merchant uh, for the card removal service of which you can only do once per merchant and it constantly increases in price as well every time you do it and gold becomes a little bit hard to come by later on as well or you get like a random lucky random encounter which allows you to remove a card from your deck as well and from a more experienced kind of card players deck building card game player as myself removing cards from your deck is so important that's more more important than adding cards to your deck it really is because you need to keep your deck light so that you can get those strategies that you want quicker Mm. and if your deck is just sort of like kind of inundated with kind of your older cards that are just basically outclassed in every way of as your new cards you want to get rid of them and i found like i couldn't do it enough to be able to get the deck i wanted to play and hmm. there are certain mechanics within the game's cards that you can add to your deck, which have like the exhaust ability, the ability to basically remove that card from your deck for the remainder of that game. But then you're stuck with, once you've used them, you're stuck with cards that you can't use anymore because you don't want to exhaust any more cards because you've already got rid of the cards that you want to get rid of. And yeah, I... I really struggle to control my deck, basically. Yeah. The other thing as well is that I was expecting... Because the cards have different um, sort of power, if you like, like require, like a requirement. You have sort of a certain amount of energy that you can use per turn and your cards cost a certain amount of energy. And I was like, OK, cool. That sounds that's familiar. I get it. Like it's very similar to like Hearthstone or any card game. But it doesn't ramp up that much as the game progresses or as a match progresses or anything like that. So it's not like you need low powered cards 
you don't need like a mana curve particularly no like you would in something like hearthstone where you need some low level cards because as the game progresses you get the higher level cards that is hearthstone that does that right yeah it is yeah like you have like a curve and every turn you increase the amount of energy you have access to right it's just you know it's pretty much the same energy yes you can have cards that give you more energy or, or relics that give you more energy or whatever but it's, it's relatively speaking the same than, yeah yeah one of the things for me that i've noticed about that is that a lot of the card upgrades when you can because you basically get the same card again but it's the upgraded version of that card and half the time the upgrade is basically just reducing the cost of the card from like two to one or one to zero <laughs> or something yeah and that is always the the basically the best upgrade like you almost always want to get those cards cheaper so you can play more of them right yeah yeah exactly so i feel like there's a i know what you mean like i was a little bit frustrated as well i was like wow, I pretty much always need to take that removal service every merchant I see because, yeah. you know, because I also, I'm not very good at necessarily picking cards. So now I'm like, well, now I want to like, you know, I'm, tr- I'm, I'm, you don't really, there's not a lot of leeway to like tweak things no. as you're going along. See, that's really interesting. You just said that either that you're not very good at picking cards because I don't think it's about you being good at it or not because you don't get the option to a lot of the time because most of the time you're only given a choice of one of three cards that's and true sometimes they're just all garbage and ch- yeah, you can skip it you don't have to take every cards that you're yeah. offered but you kind of need to take cards because your deck is very quickly going to get outclassed in terms of power to be able to deal with the later enemies even on the first kind of like level of the spire the first sort of like round as it were definitely and that's one of my other points as well is my, with my frustration over the control of the deck is that sometimes you want to follow a particular archetype, right? Because each kind of character has a very obvious sort of like group of cards that does one thing and a group of cards that does another thing. So using the warrior as the example, you have like the cards that are all about doing damage to all enemies. And there's mm-hmm. a group of cards that's all about kind of doing increasing your block and then using yeah. your block as a damage tool. And then there's also a group of cards that are all about doing damage to yourself to increase the amount of damage you do overall. They're all fine. You can do all three of them. But like, say early game, you'll get like a couple of really powerful cards that work towards one strategy. And then there's the rest of the game, you get the opposite strategy cards. Mm. So what do you do? Do you try to stick to your guns and go with the early one? Or do you basically go, right, well, I can't do that early game strategy with these powerful cards. I need to swap my strategy over to this other set of cards. But now I've got these dead cards in my deck that don't do anything and I've got to get rid of them. And now I've got to spend more resources getting rid of them. And yeah, like I, it's kind of hard to fix, I guess, with the way they've done their reward system for cards. But it's really frustrating to not be able to kind of get the right style card each time. Yeah, that you and I guess want. it's and I guess it's kind of a product of the fact that it is a roguelike, and so you're expected to have sort of duff runs alongside good runs. But I do agree with you that I think it does just need to align a little bit more with skill like it's sort of you know maybe it's sort of like a little bit more about buying cards or or you know a little bit more structured in the random cards that Mm. they give you so that if you if you are following a strategy it's a little bit easier to follow those strategies and you're not just kind of scuppered by you know really scuppered by rng um you know there are a lot there are plenty of roguelikes where yes rng is definitely a factor but also it's a lot easier to weight the rng in your favor a little bit like i'm thinking a little bit about ftl here i guess where Mm. i think that it is a little bit you're more in control of you know what is being upgraded and and you know what what things you're buying and stuff like that and into the breach as well because it's all put in front of you and then you choose what you upgrade Mm. whereas here you're kind of given 
you get you get what you're given sort of thing and that's all you have it's like it's like playing ftl but without the ability to upgrade your ship and the only time you can upgrade is when you the game goes you get this random upgrade exactly exactly so it'd be like trying to play like that yeah it's definitely more roguelike than not in that regards you know it's more like a traditional rogue roguelike like you know like nethack and and, you know where it's just kind of like luck of the draw of the room that you go into has like a magical thing or it has a lightning bolt that zaps Mm. you you know yeah it's it's definitely more like that and then the last thing i want to say from i'm coming off negative which is frustrating we're gonna have to round off with some positives here (laughs) i'm going to the only reason i'm coming off as negative i am is because i really like the game like mm. it really grabbed me. Like I put 16 hours into this game just for this episode, which is way more than I realistically needed to. <laughs> but one of the things that really frustrates me about the game is the very obvious first order optimal strategy. I don't know if you've heard that term before. No. The idea basically is, is that like you will always use the same strategy every time because it is optimal. Right. So the example that like was used um, to describe it is so think Street Fighter, right? Street Fighter 2. Early game optimal strategies are things like E Honda's like thousand hand slaps or like Chun Li's like uh kind of whatever it's called kick like thousand kicks or whatever. They're really powerful and they work really really effectively, and you don't really need to do anything else to win the game, right? But there are obviously much better ways of doing it that are only marginally more powerful but require a lot more skill to do. So you sort of right. end up sticking with that first strategy. Hence the first order optimal strategy idea. That's sort of like that. That's where that phrase comes from. And for me, when I've been playing it, it becomes clear early on that certain methods of play are just outright better. And the one that I was the most evident to me of that was the block strategy of the warrior, because it's just better. Because it encourages you to use block to attack with, but then your block is still there to block your damage, which means you're not getting hurt, which means that you're not having the risk of dying in a roguelike. Whereas the other strategies are just more risk than they're worth, if that makes sense. So Mm. you always end up going for the same strategy. And because it's a roguelike, you're less kind of... You, you have a less desire, less of a desire to follow this more experimental type of gameplay with these different card mechanics you're not used to as much because then you'll die and then you're not getting the same level of reward as you would do if you just use the strategy you know will work every time, assuming you get the cards to do it. Yeah, I must admit, I haven't really noticed that yet, I guess, because... I haven't really played it enough to see what those strategies are, but mm. I can I can definitely see where you're coming from. You know, it's maybe that's where the the early access side comes in, right? This is what I when I went into it, I thought, are there going to be some things that are relatively obviously imbalanced? And because it's early access, you know, there's still some more tuning to do, and I think that there's still some more needs a little bit more breadth and a bit more variety to sort of like counteract that a little bit. Um, And back to like varying monsters as well. Like part of the issue Mm. there is that if you don't have a variety in the way that things attack you, then there's always going to be strategies that you can employ that are just going to be sort of universally quite good. If you've not got a monster that's going to, you know, scupper, completely scupper that strategy. You know, if you think about a classic, classic sort of card game where, you know, if you have a particular deck, like if you're in magic or whatever, and you've got like a red deck, you know, and there'll be certain like decks or there's certain ways to counter a red deck and it feels like slay the spire perhaps from what you're saying doesn't necessarily have those you know that those ways that the game can counter what you're doing yes Um, basically i've put that in my notes basically word for word of god there's no real difficulty curve right 
And as different cards mechanics become unlocked, the game doesn't become harder to require you to use those cards. So you're never encouraged to experiment further. You're just encouraged to keep using the same strategy. Right, exactly. Because it doesn't have a difficulty curve, does it? Because the game doesn't get harder as you get more access to more cards as you as because when you play through the game you get access to like more cards within the set of that characters like more of the warrior cards more of the thief cards whatever but you're not encouraged to use them because the game doesn't get harder so just use the same cards that work for you this time mm. yeah and i guess you could say well yeah but you're supposed to experiment and kind of see new things but there's no incentive to particularly Whereas the one thing that does give me incentive to do it, and you've touched on it briefly, and these are sort of my more positive closing thoughts, is the daily challenge mode. Yeah. I really, really love this. This is such a great idea. Lots of games have that sort of like modifier style of gameplay where the game sort of changes itself to make it easier or harder or different in some way. And most of the time they're just like, whatever, I'm not interested. I just want to play the game. But I've got to say, this is very much one of the core features for the game, in my opinion. This is one of the reasons you want to keep going back. Like, playing the default vanilla mode almost doesn't feel as interesting or as fun after a while compared to this. In that it adds all these kind of weird, interesting modifiers to to your run, basically. So you have either mm. an easier game or a harder game or a weird game, you know. Like, I had one yeah. where you get potions at the end of every single round if you beat the monsters... But you also have all these cards that give you potions throughout the game as well. And potions initially are supposed to be these the like one-off power abilities that you use to sort of give yourself a, a, an instant buff. But when you've got them all the time, you're sort of like using them in conjunction with your deck rather than just as a, a as an out essentially. Yeah, yeah, I I do agree. Looking at it, it feels like the daily challenges is like the end game almost. Yeah, um, to yeah, some extent, much. because. It's that it's what gives it that variety. And I mean, that's a classic roguelike thing as well, right? Like you look at something like um, Rogue Legacy, where basically the whole game is a bit like that because every game, every run through is slightly different and tweaked. And so you sort of have that, you know, built those built in modifiers, if you like, that kind of keep it interesting. And it's essentially the daily challenges are those built in modifiers to sort of make the Mm. game more interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. Like overall... I really enjoyed the game. So kind of going back to like the game club aspect of this. So rather than critiquing the game, just telling what I think about it. I really enjoyed it. I'm really glad I picked it up. And I think maybe my frustrations are coming from all the things I want it to be rather than it's not a good game, if that makes sense. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. I also really liked it. I was surprised um, at how how much it actually grabbed me right at the start. Like I was playing it and I was just like, it had that sort of just one go aspect to it um, that really sort of hooked me in immediately. Like right from the word go, I was like, I was, I was not aware of what was going on around me. I was very immersed straight away because it was just sort of like, it was quite an exciting sort of feeling card game, um, which I really, really enjoyed. I would really love to see it as a mobile game or on my Switch. Um, I think yeah, that, that would be really cool. The interface is the right kind of size for it. It would totally work as a as a Switch game yeah. or as a mobile game. I really hope that they've got it in the works. I would, I, I, a hundred percent. Even if I never play it again on PC, if I saw it appear on Switch, I would pick it up because I think yeah. I would enjoy it more playing it, you know, mobile rather than playing on the it on PC. Being able to just pick it up, put it down. Yeah, just because that's the kind of... I've turned into that gamer a little bit. You know, I play PC games at the LAN, but actually 
at the moment I get more value out of playing my Switch because I can, you know, play it on the train or play it in bed and stuff like that. And I'm just not getting as much time in front of my PC as I would like. Yeah. Um, so I really need games to be accessible on, on multiple formats. And so I would love to see this on the Switch, 100%. I'd be really surprised if by the end of the year we haven't got a, we're moving this to the Switch as well because Agreed. it does fit almost perfectly. So it would, it would surprise me if it's not on the Switch at some point yeah. or another. I would, I would love it to be. That would, I would, yeah, I would be really excited if I saw that it was announced for Switch, 100%. We better round this show out because this is already again, a pretty long show. Um, <laughs> and I, I've had a lot of fun actually with this. Uh, I really, I, I like doing this game club idea, not just mm. the game particularly, but the, the, the style of was doing this. Mm. Uh, and I hope you have as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, and we hope the listeners have enjoyed it as well. Like if you do like how we've sort of like don't gone about this uh, and sort of had like a very much more informal discussion about a game uh, mm. let us know or if you prefer the more episodic content and you do want a more kind of structured episode then you know let us know that maybe we can try and like kind of meet in the middle with these kind of game club ideas mm-hmm. definitely yeah you can uh, send us an email it's show at octal.fm uh, or you can send us a tweet we're at octal.fm on twitter um, or come and find us on Facebook. We're facebook.com forward slash Octal uh, And yeah, I've, I've definitely really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, we'll, we will definitely be doing some more of these Game Club episodes. Uh, Maybe we can get some suggestions from the listeners as to what game to play on Game Club next. Absolutely. That would be great. Like, please suggest a game that, you know, you think we would either like or hate. I mean, either either way would be great. Like, just to, yeah. you know... It would be interesting to talk about. So, yeah, definitely let us know a game that you think we should play. Um, if you do, we will almost certainly pick it up um, because I think it would be really great to, to, you know, to pick something up that someone suggests. Uh, and, yeah, in, in the meantime, I've been Gelada. And I've been Sephron. And catch us again for another episode of Oxal FM very soon. Trying to think of a Spire-related related pun, but I can't. <laughs> Now time to shuffle off everyone. <laughs> that was fairly good. <laughs> yeah, because a card game related could just shuffle your deck. See, that's actually one thing. This is not particularly episode related, maybe in the outtakes. One of the things I really miss about real card games is shuffling and flicking your cards. I'm sure people hate the card flicker. Like when you go to like kind of locals and people sit there flicking cards. You're such a card flicker as well. Oh, I love it. I love (laughs) flicking cards. I do. Whereas with Into the the Spire. (laughs) Why on earth did I say that? (laughs)